Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Dumas, Texas, featuring biblical teaching and preaching from God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word. If you live in the Panhandle area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you at First Baptist Church. We meet every Lord's Day for Sunday school at 9 a.m. and morning worship at 10.30 a.m. We also have midweek discipleship opportunities for all ages on Wednesdays. For more information, visit us at fbcdumastx.com. That's fbcdumastx.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together. Amen. Thank you, music team, and thank you for allowing me to be here again. It, uh, it's such a blessing always to be in Dumas. Uh, I remember the very first Sunday that I that Zane called and asked me if I could come and supply. It was in October of 2019, and then the year that we want to erase from history, 2020, happened. And uh, but I remember that very first Sunday that that I came, and uh, of course I was familiar with Dumas. Ed Rogers was a mentor of mine and a dear friend, and I got to see him a couple of years ago, and uh, you know, it's hard to mourn the death of somebody like Ed Rogers because you know that he's uh, in the presence of Jesus, and uh, what a blessing to his ministry now to get to be in the presence of Jesus. But I, I knew about First Baptist Church Dumas, but the thing that impressed me that very first Sunday that I came is the thing that still impresses me, and, and it's the first five, six pews here in the middle of you young people. And uh, I, I remember that Sunday, and I remember looking and seeing you guys sitting there. And, and now, all of you four years ago that were little kids are grown up now, aren't you? Getting to make decisions on your own and not having to answer to anybody. Is that right? Yeah, well... <laughs> One, one day. We always have to answer to people. This morning, I had to answer to my wife. I had to ask her, is this tie too loud? <laughs> there are only, at the most, a couple of Sundays out of the year that I can wear this tie uh, that was given to me by, by my daughter. So I don't think she's able to watch today, but uh, uh, she'll know that I wore this tie. And I told my wife, I said, uh, uh, you know, the, the thing about it is, I'll probably be the only person there wearing a tie. Uh, so uh, that, that's good, and I started not to even wear a tie. But uh, anyway, uh, we still answer to others, don't we? This morning, we're going to talk about the woman that reached out and touched Jesus. And we're going to read the scripture from Matthew's gospel. We're going to read, uh, if you'll remember, I like to use New American Standard. If you'd like to stand with me as we read... Uh, you're getting your exercise today, Mark chapter 5, verses 24 through 34. And let me tell you that like many of the stories such as this one that are in the Gospels are found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, not John. Uh, John wrote, the Holy Spirit had him write with a different purpose in mind than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And uh, most of John, two-thirds of the book of John, center around the last few months of Jesus' life. 
But this story is found in Matthew and Mark and Luke, and so we're going to read it out of Mark. Mark, starting 5, starting with verse 34. And he went off with him, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. Now, some of your versions may say, and thronged in on him. We'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, a woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that, he, uh, that she had and was not helped at all, but in, instead had become worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she had been saying to herself, if I just touch his garments, I will be well. And immediately the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in him that power from him had gone out. And that is a very important verse. That power from him had gone out. He turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples, and I almost would like to insert in there, his thoughtless disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing, thronging in on you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be cured of your disease. Lord, we pray a blessing on the reading and the hearing of your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I love this story. I love this story because this very uh, unpretentious, unassuming woman just knew that if she could get close enough to Jesus... She would be all right. This morning we're going to talk about this miracle per se, but what I want us to look at is the, is the miracle that Jesus has endowed us with, the miracles of allowing people to reach out and touch us. And so we're going to look at that and we're going to look at this miracle. Some people call this a miracle on the way to a miracle. Uh, Jesus was on his way, I started with verse 34 because I wanted us to see that how large the crowd was. Uh, but if you go above that, starting I think with verse 20, it says that Jairus, an, a, a, an official, a, an officer, a leader in the synagogue, had come to Jesus and said, my daughter is dying. And could you come? And so Jesus was on his way to Jairus's house. In chapter 3 of Mark and then 4, we're told of, of just a few days prior to this, Jesus officially calling his 12 apostles. If you read this story in Matthew, we see that Matthew had just been called to follow Jesus and the 12 had been put together. Mark uh, records this for us uh, in chapter 3, and then uh, we, uh, we have going back and forth uh, 
on the Sea of Galilee in the boat and, and uh, uh, the healing of the, uh, uh, the man with the de- that was demon-possessed and, and the casting out into the pigs. And, and then, uh, then whenever they're coming back across the storm and Jesus is asleep and they kind of, I mean, hear these new apostles following this Jesus said, what? followed him out here to be drowned you know what what's going on here and they said how are you sleeping and he uh stood up and he uh he talked to them about their lack of faith and then he quieted the winds and the storm and they came to the other side they're in the area of Capernaum now and Jesus is had been approached by uh, by Jairus, an official of the synagogue. And the thing that's kind of interesting about that, important about that, is that they just had, that Sabbath before, had just been in a synagogue where uh, Jesus reached out, and if you've watched The Chosen, and, and there are a lot of things about The Chosen that I, I think, you know, uh, are, are really great and wonderful, and I love that and they've just are coming out with the third season. If you've watched The Chosen, uh, you'll you'll uh, remember that story of going into the synagogue, and <clears throat> and they touched uh, the withered man's hand and it was healed. And then Jesus was jumped on by the officials of the synagogue for doing that on the Sabbath. Well, now he's coming over here to Capernaum, and an official of the synagogue is saying to him, "My daughter is dying." Sometimes our attitude changes when we have a need, doesn't it? And so the official of the synagogue is reaching out to Jesus in faith, and Jesus is going to his house. But during uh, this little trip across town, or however long it might would take, the crowd began to throng around him, and that word throng is only used in this story. Throughout the rest of the gospel, that word is not used again like that. We have other times when there are crowds, but this word throng actually means to squeeze in tight. Have you ever been in a crowd like that? Uh, My wife and I took our uh, bucket list trip to New York City in 2014, and uh, we... uh, we had our preset notions about New York City and, you know, how unfriendly everybody is and, and all of that. And so we went to New York City and we were staying uh, in a comfort inn in, in, uh, close to Times Square, a few blocks from Times Square. And we went to uh, a play. And as it, the play was over on Broadway at midnight, and as we were going to the subway station, we were not prepared for the crowd. You know, we'd seen the crowd at Times Square on New Year's Eve, and, you know, I thought, well, I don't want to be in that. Well, let me tell you, after that play in July, the crowd was that tight. I actually, Donna was wearing some dress slacks that had a little nice lady's belt but fortunately she had some belt loops and I put my finger in her belt loop so that we wouldn't get lost and from, from one another. The crowd was that tight. It was the most unbelievable squeezing together of people that I had ever been in and I don't want to be in another one like that. And that crowd was like this. So it kind of helps us appreciate where this lady was coming from 
to, to be able to reach Jesus. She was in a tremendously large crowd of people that surrounded him. Some of them, I'm sure, were in that crowd because they wanted to see Jesus fail. There were those Pharisees and Sadducees that actually were either appointed or self-appointed to try and make sure he failed or at least to be there to catch him, trap him when he did fail or whenever he did answer a question incorrectly. There were other th others there that I'm sure much like we do, sadly to say, almost every night on the evening news sat and were anxiously waiting for some tremendous thing to happen so that we can watch it over and over and over again. And so they were there hopefully to be able to see a great miracle happen. And then there were there those there that perhaps were wanting a miracle to happen to them. They may have been there selfishly, like some of those that would approach Paul on his missionary trips, and they selfishly wanted this power to come on them. We're not sure why all of the people were there and why the crowd was the way it was. We know that his newly appointed apostles probably were somewhat in shock uh, at what was happening. But this one individual, this lady, was seeking Jesus out, not to call attention to herself, obviously, not to get him to uh, do something that would, that would cause her to be glorified, just simply because there was nothing else in her life. There was nothing left for her to try, and she heard of Jesus. It wasn't like she was reaching out to Jesus last because she had not heard of him before. She'd been dealing with this issue of blood. If you know about the ministry of Jesus, for nine years, probably ten years, according to when this story happened, before Jesus was ever on the scene, it wasn't that she had uh, decided, well, uh, maybe Jesus can do it. Nobody else can or the physicians can't do it. I, I, okay, I'll try Jesus like sometimes we do today. She just had heard about Jesus. And her faith drew her to him, not out of her own glory, not out of her own uh, uh, building herself up, but because nothing else was there. And so she reached out and she touched him. I love this story because of that. I love this story because when she heard of Jesus that he was first on her list to reach out to. There may have been another physician that she hadn't heard of. Luke at this time was traveling around the world as a physician and Luke had gained great respect among the people of the world and and his fame was going around the world at his ability to sense what needed to happen to cure people perhaps she could have gone to another physician she'd gone to everyone that she knew and everyone that was around there but now because of Jesus there was nothing else that she desired 
but to reach out. In verse 27, it says, just touch his cloak or touch his hem of his garment. She'd been saying to herself, if I just can touch his garment. And so she did. And when she did and whenever she touched that garment, the other thing about this story that I love is it said immediately the flow of blood dried up. She was cured. The disease had left her body. Have you ever wondered about the crowd that's around you? Have you ever wondered at those that are in that crowd? Maybe there are crowds of people that have been around you before that are troublesome and, and it's hard for you to want to keep reaching out to them. Uh, I, I don't know, but have you ever wondered about the people day in and day out that are around you? Pearl Buck, uh, some of you probably have heard of Pearl Buck, the author, and uh, fabulous author. If you haven't read any of her works, you need to look Pearl Buck up and read some of her works. Pearl Buck said, the test of a civilization is in the way that it takes time to care and to touch those that are around them. Richard Carlso made this statement that I like, and he's not anybody you're probably going to know, but he said, compassion is a sympathetic, caring feeling. It involves the willingness to put yourself in someone else's shoes, to take the focus off yourself, and to imagine what it is like to be in that person's predicament, to feel love for that person. It's the recognition that other people's problems, their pain, their frustration, and every bit or every bit is real as our own. And often worse. In, in recognition of this fact, trying to offer some kind of assistance, we open our own hearts and greatly enhance our sense of gratitude for what God has done for us. The only way, the best way and the only way to be thankful during Thanksgiving is to know how we have been touched and how we can touch others. Jesus wanted to give her more than just a healing. And that's a, another part of this story that I love. Jesus wanted more than for this woman to just be healed. He wants more for us than to just be healed. For many years now, and I've prayed for a lot of people, and especially in my line of work at Bivens, and by the way, I'm not at Bivens anymore, some people say, well, you got to retire. And I said, no, I didn't retire. Bivens did. Uh, after 71 years of uh, the kind of care that Miss Bivens had put in place, it became obvious to the board, and I, I think rightly so, that there were other ways to use that money to reach out and care for senior citizens. And so we no longer have a senior citizen facility that does rehab and nursing, uh, full-time nursing care. We do have, still have the independent village, but... Uh, I didn't retire, Bivens retired. But since then, God's opened the door like uh, 
like Zane said, for me to be able to enter them a, a couple of churches. Just finished one two weeks ago, and uh, they have a new pastor. And so, uh, you know, and, and it just fell in time for me to be able to come here. Uh, and, and I know that God has those doors uh, open uh, for me. And so whenever I was at Bivens, it was easy to see and to pray for people that were in need. And I became keenly aware that oftentimes our prayers are just by rote. That our prayers sometimes don't have a whole lot of meaning. We get to where we kind of pray the same thing over and over again. And so then my own personal prayer became, God, teach me how to pray for others. Teach me how to be an intercessor for the needs of the people that are around me daily that are desiring a prayer, something that would give them hope and faith. One thing that changed in my prayer is knowing how to pray for somebody that is sick because I do want to pray for people that are sick. I do believe that God does come in and make a difference in people's lives. We don't know how he's going to do that. We don't know who he's going to use. And I'm not going to fault the physician that this woman went to because my own daughter is a provider, medical provider, and has been for years, and she is a very caring and reaching uh, uh, provider uh, to people. And, 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 and I have had need, and I've had my foot operated on. My wife just had some oral surgery that has turned into more than we were expecting. And, and so we know we need physicians. I'm not to put them down, but, but, but as I pray, I pray, God, bring healing in a way that's going to glorify you. My own uncle is in hospice right now. I had to go in-house hospice two days ago. He's non-responsive, and uh, he's been a minister for 52 years. Uncle Carol has been a rock for me when my dad died. I, uh, and, and Uncle Carol had a sense of humor that was amazing. And, and when my dad died and Uncle Carol was with us that night after the funeral, and I walked him to the door and then out to his car, and I said, you know, Uncle Carol, I put my arm on his shoulder and as tenderly as I could, I said, you know, Uncle Carol, you're my daddy now. And Uncle Carol responded, well, don't forget me on Father's Day. (laughs) And he's been my rock. He's been that person that has been there when I've cried and been there when I needed to laugh. And he may very well not be alive by the time I get back to Amarillo. And as I have prayed for him, especially over the last week, and his kids know, and this is their prayer, God, heal Uncle Carol in a way that will glorify your name. In no greater way could your name be glorified for them than for him to get to stand in your presence. And so we learn to pray in a way that glorifies God, not the individual, not ourselves. And so God calls for us to pray like that. He calls for us to extend the power that he has invested in us into someone else that might touch us. He wanted her to know that she was more than just healed. He wanted her to know. When he turned and said, who touched me, he knew who had touched him. But I think first and foremost, he wanted her to know more than that she was healed. She already was healed. 
He wanted her to have peace. He wanted her to understand the joy of that healing, the glory of that healing. He wanted her to know that she didn't have to live her life thinking that she just reached out and stolen a blessing, but that blessing freely flowed from him as a power source. Brother, he wanted to pour his grace out to her in her life like a great big hug. That's another part of this story I like. It was like his grace just enveloped her and gave her a big hug. She, he seemed to want to look into her eyes and see the beautiful, genuine faith that came sparkling out. And then for, her, for him to get to say with a great big smile, Daughter, he didn't just say thoughtless person in the crowd. He said, daughter, we don't know her name. We never will know her name until we get to heaven, perhaps. But greater than calling her by name, he said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Not only did he want to heal her, he wanted her to understand that peace. It may be that we don't have any more to give than to say we want to give you Jesus' peace. One more reason I think that Jesus turned and made himself known to her and to the crowd. To be sure, her faith was an example to all of those that were around him and to us today, but he wanted what happened with her to be an example to us. I really think that this story was given to us. We don't have another miracle that it tells us that it happened exactly like this, that he felt the power going out of his body. I think he wanted us to have an example of our need to stop and to feel the pains around us. Feel the pains that maybe all it would take is for us to be ready to give something uh, to that person, but sometimes to the extent that we feel the power flowing out of us to make an effort to let someone touch us. A few weeks ago, a man in Waco, Texas passed away, a man that will never, ever make history books, will never, ever make headlines. He was a homeless man at one time and really basically lived his life to that extent for the rest of his life. His name was Kenneth. We met Kenneth maybe 22 years ago. And when I said we, uh, when I was working at, at a Christian school as a Bible teacher and then mission coordinator, we started going to Mission Waco. Any of y'all ever been to Waco and know about Mission Waco? It's right across the street on 5th Street Right across the street from the entrance to Baylor, there's an overpass on I-35. And underneath that overpass, they have a church. It's outdoor church. It's homeless church. And yet there are doctors and lawyers and policemen and businessmen and, and uh, everyday people that meet with them. Sometimes the crowd's up to 400 people. 
And we got involved with them. And for 10 years, I would take young people, sometimes a couple of times a year, mostly once a year. And we would go and stay in the homeless shelter uh, in an area that was designed for us to be safe or for other people that would come. And we would do homeless ministry. and We would do ministry to help the staff be able to reach out to the homeless. <clears throat> and one of the people that we met, the very first time that we went, was a man by the name of Kenneth. He wore, no matter when we were there, he wore this great big overcoat. He'd been homeless. And he also had lived in the lap of luxury at one time. And he walked away from it because of some mental problems that he had. And Mission Waco found Kenneth, and they took him in, and they eventually found a little apartment for him, and he had an old pickup truck, and at one time he was, had the hood up, and I went over there, and I said, well, what does the motor look like? And he looked up at me. He said, what motor? And I was kind of startled. He said, that's not a motor, that's an engine. And, and, and he just kind of had that abrupt way about him. But if you ever reached out to shake Kenneth's hand, he would say, why do people do that? And it was almost like he was saying, that is a meaningless gesture of friendship. And he would reach into his pocket and he would give you a mint. One of those little star mints that was wrapped. And he would do that to everybody. And he told me one time, he said, always be prepared to give something stuck with me. If you talk to my daughter and my youngest son, they're the ones that got to go. Uh, my oldest son had already graduated, and he never got to go to Waco, but one of the memories, I think one of the top five memories in their life is Kenneth. We'll never forget Kenneth because he was always ready to give something I don't know if you watched much about the Queen of England when she died. We didn't watch the funeral, but we did watch a few things that, uh, about the Queen. She was a remarkable woman. One of the stories that we heard, maybe you heard it also, was that in her getaway home place that she found refuge in, Balmoral, is that how you pronounce it in Scotland, a place she loved to retreat to. Just a couple of years ago or so, she was out walking with her trusted aide that had been with her forever, uh, a gentleman that had been in the military and, and was her trusted aide. And they were out walking and they were on this little hillside ledge and the, the overlooking was just beautiful. And a stranger came up to him and he asked for direction. And so the, the aide gave him direction of how to get back to where he needed to go. And then he stopped and he said, by the way, so this is such a lovely place. Would you mind taking a picture of us? And so the aide's thinking, the queen. And so he starts to take this guy's telephone to take a picture, but rather the man gives it to the queen. And she takes a picture of him and the aide that had just given him instruction. And then she said, well, let's get a picture together. And so the aide took a picture of him and the queen. And then he thanked them and he went on. And he, and he said, I want to have a picture of this beautiful landscape to show my friends back home in the United States. And so he leaves and the aide is chuckling to himself. The queen said, what are you laughing about? And he said, I'm just wishing that I could be there when he shows these pictures to his friends. 
and tells them about this nice little old lady that stopped and helped him find directions. You know, no matter who we are or how important we may think we are, there's always that opportunity to let a stranger touch us. To give to a stranger as Kenneth would give. Whenever Jesus gave his power, he gave feeling, caring. He gave touching. Phone company made billions of dollars. Some of you will remember the ads many years ago. With a little jingle, just reach out and touch someone. Whenever I was a chaplain, uh, a volunteer chaplain at Shamrock, I was pastoring at Shamrock, and, and the four main churches there, the, us pastors got together, and we decided to divide the month up, and we each would take a week to be on call at the hospital as a chaplain. It was a time of year just like now, just before Christmas. It was snowing terribly bad. And I went in to visit some of the people, and I went in to visit this little lady, African-American lady that, uh, that I had known of when I pastored at Quail outside of Wellington, that went to church, was a great woman of faith an older lady, and I went in to visit with her, reminded her that I'd been, well, I don't know that she ever remembered who I was, but we talked and we visited, and I said, well, how are you doing? She said, well, they, they've, they've gotten me okay and better, and they're going to release me this afternoon. And I said, oh, okay, and, and uh, she said, my husband's supposed to come and get me, but he's, he's pretty decrepit. He can't drive in bad weather, and I said, okay. I said, well, what can I do? And in saying that, I was thinking, can I go get you a bowl of jello or something, you know? And, uh, or can I call somebody and tell them you're going to have to stay a little longer? No, hospital was discharging her. And in my question, what can I do? It did not involve weathering, and it was becoming a blizzard. A blizzard to drive from Shamrock to Wellington. If you've ever made that drive, it's just about 25 miles. But much like the dip just before you get to Dumas, there's a huge dip, valley, whatever you want to call it, between Wellington and Shamrock that is treacherous to try and go up during a blizzard. And sure enough, she said, could you drive me to Wellington? I thought of every single excuse that I could think of, but as my mouth would open, I could not utter any of those excuses. I, I, didn't, I didn't want to drive to Wellington. My wife didn't want to hear that I had driven off the, into a gully, you know, in a blizzard. And I said, yes, let me make some arrangements. <laughs> and I drove her to Wellington. By the time I got back to Shamrock, it was dark couldn't even hardly see the road, but somehow God allowed me to get back safely to Shamrock. Oftentimes in our question, what can I do? It does not involve what maybe needs to be done. Jesus will never think of our need as an interruption to his day. Do we think of the needs of others and they're touching us as an interruption to our day? 
Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I don't know how God has spoken to you through his word today, but you respond as the Holy Spirit gives you invitation, as the team, music team comes to lead us in that invitation. Stand with me. Let's pray as we get ready for God's Holy Spirit to invite us to respond to his word. Lord, we thank you that you love us. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for this story. The disciples saw this lady as an interruption to their important journey. And yet Jesus saw it as an opportunity to let someone touch him and to look into those beautiful eyes and say, Daughter, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Lord, let us know how and understand our need to be touched and our need to look into the eyes, the sweet, precious eyes of someone and see their soul, see their hurts, see their needs, and willing to be touched. And we just pray in your Son's holy and precious name, knowing and believing. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at fbcdumas at hotmail.com. It's fbcdumas at hotmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 806-935-5604. We'll see you next time.